HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. My name is Souther Teague. I'm your host for the day. Damon Bolte is away in sunny California. Um, but we've got some beautiful weather here in Brooklyn. And, uh, so we're going to carry on without him. We'll miss him dearly, though. Um, quick catch up with me. I've been crazy busy working on my book, which will be out in the spring. It's available already on Amazon um, pre-order. It's called I'm Just Here for the Drinks. So if you're interested in that, check it out. We've been doing a lot of photography for the past uh, couple of weeks, and I've been doing a lot of uh, writing of copy. So um, it's curious to me that it's already on pre-order, even though I'm not finished writing the book. But they seem to have faith in me, So, and you guys do as well, so I appreciate that. Uh, in the studio today, we've got uh, John Little from Smooth Ambler down in West Virginia, uh, as well as Antonia Fatizi uh, from uh, Cork and Tin. Guys, welcome to the studio. Thank you. Lean, lean in a little. You need to be closer. There we Thank go. Thank you. That's better. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Hey, man. Super excited to have you. Um, and you're down there. Your position exactly is is distiller, owner, both? My title now says... <laughs> my title says... You have to look at your own business card? Yeah, yeah right. Uh, it says CEO and head distiller. Chief cook and bottle washer. But, correct. Same thing, right? It's yeah. like uh, being in the restaurant business. You do whatever it takes to get the job done today. Right. So uh, I'm one of the founders. There were three of us. It was me and my father-in-law and, and one other guy named Greg Parsegan, uh, an investor, a friend who became an investor. Uh, it's always good to have friends that are investors. With money. <laughs> yeah, oh, friends yeah. with money. It's really good. <laughs> uh, luckily, he's both a good friend and has money. Uh, but uh, the, re- re- the reality of it is my title is the same. It has been for a while. I, uh, I pretty much run the organization, handle pretty much every operation in there, and, and now we're starting to divvy those things up to a variety of people. And we spoke a little bit before the show got started. This was not your initial vocation by any means. You, uh, you sort of, as we say in the South, sort of fell ass backwards into it. Yeah, I, I fell in. <laughs> I, I fell in. 
Absolutely, I fell into it. Uh, you know, we, we spoke about this a little bit earlier, but I was in, I've been in a variety of business. I was in the restaurant business for a long time, about 15 years combined. I mean, I started in the restaurant business when I was 15 years old, and uh, I did everything from uh, bartending to busboy and mostly front-of-the-house stuff. Um, you know, worked, worked on cars a little bit and um, did, did a variety of things throughout my career, did some sales and took some accounting in, in college and did a variety of those things. And, and what I always thought was a, was a major curse of having all of these different things and never really being good at any of them really became, I uh, really became quite fortunate that these were all really useful things to, to run a small business and especially a small distillery where the things are breaking down and you need you know, sort of repair expertise to help work on those things. And I knew how to sweat pipe. I know a little bit about electric, although I don't like messing with electric very much. Nobody does. <laughs> Nobody does. Crazy electricians. Um, yeah. So my, my, my background was not in what was in alcohol. And uh, fortunately we surrounded ourselves with a bunch of really wonderful people over the years that, that had experience in different, different areas of the alcohol business. And so we, we feel like we've come a long way from where we started, and we feel like we had really good people that helped us get there. Well, relate the story you were telling me earlier about how you you went to visit your father-in-law, and and then you decided out of nowhere to just move to live near him, right? Yeah, so my, my wife and I have been married for a long time now, 24 years. Which is shocking to me because you don't look that old. Sorry, we've been married for 21 years. I'll be in trouble if I get that wrong. Uh, no, we've been together for 24 years. Yeah, we got married when, when we were young. And um, so in 2002, our daughter was about a year old. We lived in Charlotte at the time. I grew up in a small town uh, in eastern North Carolina, but I was living in Charlotte. Roanoke, right? Roanoke Rapids. Okay. So the, well, it's a, We talked about this before the show, too. I, <laughs> I just recently, because of my stupid broken arm, I've been catching up on television, and I watched the American Horror Story, which was set in Roanoke, North Carolina. Oh, wait, wait, I need to, I need to look, look at last that. Last season, season six. Check it season out. Season six, yeah, I'll check that out. Um, so, yeah, so we were, we were in Charlotte, and we came up to see... Her parents, who lived in, we live in in Lewisburg, and the distillery is in Max Welton, the population of about three hundred people, but it's basically <laughs> Lewisburg, West Virginia. Uh, we came to to visit them, and and sort of on a whim, I'm not even really sure how it happened. In a couple of days, we just decided to quit our jobs and and sell our house, or attempt to sell our house, and move to the middle of nowhere, West Virginia, and, and recreate our lives. So you moved from the population of the town of about a, a million about to, a, to 300 and... Well, oh, no, wait. Lewisburg has about 3,500 okay. people. The county is about 35,000 people. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's, when, you're, when you're used to the, all of the things that a city has to offer, mostly the conveniences of life sure. and a variety of food uh, and entertainment choices... It, it was hard to leave that and to go to a small town, but something about it felt right. Uh, and, and, and it took a while to get used to that again. I mean, I grew up, again, I grew up in a small town, but not that small. Uh, but, you know, as a young adult, you, you move to a, a town like Charlotte and has all these wonderful things, including professional sports. And, you know, Asian, I love Thai food, right? We discussed this yeah, earlier. Exactly. So having, having all these wonderful food choices, um, and to be able to move to a, or to move to a small town and not have those available to you anymore, it 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 took some adjusting. Of course, but it, in hindsight, or looking at it now, I guess really is that I'm really glad we made those choices. We we, we live in a very very cool town, and uh, it was named a couple of years ago. It was named the coolest small town in America. Oh wow! And we have a Carnegie. Who, who, who gave it that designation? Uh, 
Budget Magazine. All right. I think. And so um, we have a Carnegie Hall, and the State Theater of West Virginia is in Lewisburg. We have some great restaurants there, um, uh, and some great small hotels. Uh, some some friends of ours run a, a, a General Lewis Inn and a place called Stardust, and they've both been written up several times. In Southern Living has been has written up about Stardust Cafe, and so we have this really great restaurants that we can go to, and some great hotels that offer uh, nice places when guests come to visit. And uh, my, my work is about four miles away, and my kid goes to school about both of my children go to school about two miles away and my wife works beside their school so it's a little bit like living in the 50s yeah yeah Uh, but it's nice you know people are looking out for each other and people care about each other um and uh i think that's a really magical thing to have yeah and 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 the trade-off there's certainly a trade-off for it but for us it was really worth worth being in that sort of town. It means a lot to us to sort of live and live where we live. And, and we're very fortunate that we've been able to create what we have with Smooth Ambler. And well, yeah, let's jump forward a little bit. Yeah. So your your the story you were telling me involved your your, your step uh, sorry your father in law going away on a, on a business trip and flying back and he read an in flight magazine yeah. about the sort of boom of craft distilleries. It, it was in Time Magazine. All right. And he saw an article about the boom, as you say, the boom of craft distilling. And the the person that they were writing about was, you know, was Tuttletown, was the Hudson whiskeys. Yep, of course. And uh, he he wrote a little smart-ass comment. Can I say this? Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> so he, he wrote a little... You'll had, never catch up to Giuseppe Gonzalez. <laughs> He's the only one who's ever gotten us a parental warning on the show. I think he said fuck uh, 20, 26 times in, in 30 minutes. Oh, well, I'm gonna, I, should, I should be less than five. Five or less. It's you're, do, you're, <laughs> you're doing fine. <laughs> so... So, um, yeah, so he wrote a little uh, smart-ass comment in the side that said, you know, we could do this in your garage, and we could make moonshine, and I'm serious. And he put this in my box. We, we were in another business together, but we were, we were constantly – I had left the restaurant business, and he and I had started a business together. And we were constantly looking for stuff to – uh, as I, as we, t- I've said this a couple times. Take advantage of it. I don't mean it negatively. I mean to showcase. It's always West negative. Virginia. To 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 show people that while West Virginia gets a bad rap, they are uh, the air is clean, the water is clean, the people are wonderful. They're they're different, um, meaning they. It, it takes a very independent soul, I think, to live in West Virginia, and to create things and to take care of themselves where they might not have uh, the resources available to do that, both in proximity to whatever they might need or in, in financial resources. And so they figured out how to get things done, and, 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 and they're welcoming. And, and we looked at everything from uh, making furniture and making clothes. And, and you just had a desire to make something. We, we just wanted to make something. We wanted to, we wanted to produce. And, and, and now we look at it and think of like adding value to where we live. Of course. Value added is you know kind of a catch term, but... It, it 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 this spoke to me instantly. I, I, like I said, I'd, I'd worked in the restaurant business for a while, and um, and so it, as luck would have it, as soon as I started searching for this stuff on the internet, I found the American Distilling Institute (ADI) was having a conference. Whatever it was a couple of days later, ten days later maybe, and I went to Louisville. I went to the conference, and part of that we toured some distilleries, including Maker's Mark, uh, and we toured Vendome, which is the people who make stills for pretty everybody. much everybody in <laughs> Kentucky. And I fell in love. Um, 
I couldn't believe what I was seeing. The, the thing that, shock, that shocks me about your story is this was the first time you'd ever even been to a distillery. First time I'd ever been to a distillery. This is the first time you'd, uh, obviously, they'd never been to see a, a still being built. You got an article from a magazine with a note that said, we can do this in your garage. Ten days later, you go to a conference. You visit a distillery in Vendome, and the lightning bolt strikes. I, I knew I was going to do it when I... When I walked out of there, I, I knew, I don't even know how to describe it, really. I just knew that was my future. I, I met some wonderful people there, including um, a guy named Don Poffenroth, who runs Dry Fly Distilling in Spokane, Washington. Mm-hmm. And he had just done it. He and his partner, Kent, had just started a distillery. Uh, and they were very good to us. And we went and worked in their distillery, and they were always a resource for us as we were going. And People that sold steel, steel equipment were, were resources to us. And so we used a lot of people across the across the way. Uh, a, a guy named Mark Thompson, who started, was the founder of Star Hill Brewery, came and, and to, to our distillery and helped us out. So anyway, kind of fast-forwarding a little bit. But we had lots of people that, that helped us along the way, and we got we got really lucky on that, I feel like. We, we try to be good people, but um, it's looking at it is it's almost impossible how much luck we had with with people helping us out. We had Todd Leopold from Leopold Brothers in Colorado. Amazing character. Uh, that guy is a walking encyclopedia of distilling. <laughs> he's the he's probably the smartest craft distiller in the United States. Uh, yeah, and he talks faster than any New Yorker I know. <laughs> I mostly he's overflowing with information that it comes out of him at great speed. It's amazing, uh, and he's what a valuable resource. I I called him up. Uh, you know, we we found each other on a forum, a uh, ADI forum, uh, American Distilling Institute forum, and and uh, I started texting when I had no idea who he was. He just sounded really smart on this forum, and and now we're close friends, and we've had we have dinner together when we're nearby, and um, it's it, having people like that in your life, no matter what you're doing. It makes you better at what you do. You, you ought to feel pretty lucky when you have folks like that. Absolutely. So, what was the next step then? You 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 went to the to the conference. You saw Maker's Mark. You saw Vendome. You came home, and you said, "Okay, how do I begin? Like, where do you begin yeah, at that so, point?" So that's a really great question. So we we started putting together a business plan, but we were very we were busy in our other business. We were of course. we were like a high end purchasing agent, and so we were busy on some projects, some hotel projects uh, that we were working on, and then. So that was March of 2008. Well, in September of 2008, you know, we had a r- real financial correction. Mm-hmm. And people, yeah. people, people started stopped spending money the way they used to. So we basically lost all of our corporate jobs. We finished what we were doing, but pe- people said, hey, we're going to stop spending money. And nothing more was coming in. Yeah, right, that's right. And so we, we focused, my father-in-law, Tag, and I started focusing our efforts on, I mean, he was, he was an architect, so he was doing other things. But his time dedicated to helping me grow professionally uh, he started helping me uh, develop a business plan for what is now Smooth Ambler. So we really started working on it hard in September. It went all the way to, say, May or June. In June, we sent this business plan that we had. We were, we were calling everybody, calling yeast suppliers and grain suppliers and equipment suppliers and trying to understand how this would work, talking to everybody that would take our phone call, getting on these forums that we talked to, talking to Todd Leopold and these folks. Um, and we sent this business plan to a friend, a guy who Tag had designed a, ha- a house for, this guy, Greg Parsegan. Um, and we sent the business plan to him, and we were, we were looking for 50 investors 
to each put in $20,000 a piece mm-hmm. and raise a million dollars. And we sent the business plan in, and I don't know, a week or two later, he called us back up, and he said, I think this business plan is really great. I really love the idea, and you guys are absolutely ridiculous to look for 50 investors. You should just let me be all 50. An angel investor out of nowhere. Pretty much. We really didn't send it to him for that. We sent it to him because he had a background in finance, and I thought he could give us direction on how to go to friends and family and what kind of SEC regulations to follow to, to make sure we were compliant. And what he really became was he became our primary investor. And uh, he is still a partner, so, you know, even now in the, in the new business arrangement. He's still a partner. He's, he's become a friend. Uh, when I traveled through D.C., I stayed at his house. I uh, stayed there last year for a long time when I got caught in a snowstorm uh, in, in late last winter and uh he's just a great guy with a with a wealth of knowledge and lets us do what we do and adds insight when he thinks it's valuable and so he's we we were really lucky for fortuitous blessed whatever whatever, <laughs> yeah. whatever term you well, want to use we, it, we we it sounds like a lot of that right this it, all happened so quickly i know of other people who've done similar things that take them years just to get it stacked up and, and ready to go and you saw a magazine article went to a conference and pretty much a year later you're in business it sounds it sounds easy right no i mean sure my path sounds easy compared to other people's past but i think one of the things that we were we did very well is that we were relentless about asking for help and advice and i can remember one time i had a problem i thought i had a problem when we first started distilling up and I called a yeast supplier, and he didn't quite know the answer. And so I called. He said, I know a yeast nutrient guy who might help. So I called him until he picks up the phone. And he wasn't sure. So the next thing you know, I'm talking to the master distiller for Black Velvet. So I've been on the phone for like four hours, and I'm now talking to a guy who makes whatever many millions of liters of alcohol he makes. And I've done that time and time again. I I have always been relentless about calling people and looking for knowledge. And I've tried to do the same thing in return. When now that now that we're established, other people have come into our distillery and 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 learned something that we think we can share with Absolutely. them. Absolutely. So you're giving you're, you're giving it back what you we, what you collected along the way. We try whatever that is. You know, sometimes even with the big guys, I you know, I'll, and if I ask them for help, I say, if we can ever do something for you in return, let us know. I'm not sure what that is when some of these people have all these wonderful resources and all these years of experience, but we would love to be able to give back to folks when we can. So we, we've always been really appreciative and thankful of, of the fact that uh, so many people were willing to help us along the way. That's amazing. Well, as it usually happens, we've flown through the first portion of the show, so we're going to take a quick break and hear from the Hearst Ranch, uh, but we'll be back right after the, sh- uh, the break with uh, uh, John Little and Antonio uh, from uh, Smooth Ambler. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. 
Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. And we are back. Hey, welcome back uh, to the Speakeasy. Uh, in the studio today, we got John Little from uh, Smooth Ambler, as well as Antonia uh, Fatizi from uh, Cork and Tin. Um, so we've talked all about how you sort of the genesis of of what got you going, right? Now let's start talking about like what you're doing. What are you making? I got two glasses right in front of me. What am I drinking? <laughs> well, it takes just a backup, just a minute, which is. Uh, when we first started, we were making vodka and gin and making whiskey whenever the still was free. And uh, somewhere along the way, also through sort of, sort of luck, I guess, uh, prying, whatever that may be, we, we found some folks uh, who were selling whiskey. Right? We found a guy named Richard Wolf who brokers whiskey. We, we had no intention to source whiskey when we first started our distillery. Uh, and, and we found... Uh, we went and bought our second still from Vendome. We met a guy named Richard Wolf, as I mentioned, who, uh, who who brokers whiskey, and we, we didn't even know that was a thing. We didn't know that people <laughs> sold sold whiskey. And, so green, yeah, right? We were so green, and uh, he he. I, I wanted to test them. I wanted I wanted to taste them. I wanted to see what they were like, and he sent us a bunch of samples. And uh, we we asked our distributor at the time. We said, Hey, if we have this whiskey that we don't make. And we're open and honest about it. And we tell people what we do, and we take sort of the the independent bottler approach to the Scotch independent bottler approach in American whiskey. Can you make this work? And he was like, absolutely. So we That's, taste. It's pretty common, right? But you didn't at, know that. <laughs> at, at, well, at the time, at the time when we did it, nobody was really, really being. No, oh, it's pretty pretty common to do it. Yeah, you're right. At that time, it wasn't. Very common to say you were doing it. Co- correct. <laughs> correct. Uh, the shroud of mystery. Where did you get this 10-year-old whiskey you just opened? <laughs> right. It's my great-grandfather's recipe that was made in Indiana. Uh, <laughs> so so we tasted through a bunch of these things, and when the very first product that we tasted uh, that, we, that I knew I was going to get was uh, we tasted a high-rise product from MGP. And the moment I cracked the sample bottle and smelled it, I was like, "This is the one. This is it." And that became uh, the high ride bourbon that we all that we that we brought out uh, that everybody, most everybody knows now, is Old Scout Seven. Mm-hmm. So it's a high ride bourbon, straight bourbon, made in Indiana uh, by the fine folks at uh, Seagram's, then LDI, which is now MGP. Uh, and so we started sourcing some whiskey and under the, and put it under the Old Scout label. As it turns out. Old Scout was also a little bit lucky. The two names we were going to use for the distillery were either Old Scout or Smooth Ambler. So when we decided we were going to source whiskey, we were like, wait a minute, we scouted it out. Here's this name, Old Scout. It, it, again, we got lucky along the way a lot, it felt like. Sure. Um, and so... Uh, you know, it's, it, just things were falling into place. Fall, things were falling into place. Great way to put that. And we, we, started, we started sourcing this whiskey, and it 
blew up bigger than we had ever imagined. Uh, and so we were sourcing, we were sourcing Old Scout 7 and sourcing Old Scout 10 and source, we sourced rye. And at one point in time, we sourced some older juice, uh, which we very creatively called very old scout <laughs> because it was older, uh, than regular old scout. And, and so it, it all became very Seems common in the whiskey world, <laughs> right? Just add some very on in the beginning. Uh, and that, that business sort of blew up and, it was great because it allowed us to make more whiskey and to ourselves personally sure. make more whiskey. It allowed that whiskey to be older and not be forced to put that out at a young age. It enabled us to grow our business. The mistake that we made is we still had no idea that it was going to be as big as it is now. And so we didn't adequately plan for... If this is your one mistake so far... Yeah, it, yeah, right. <laughs> we didn't plan to be as big as we are. We didn't. We didn't plan to be as successful as we are. And what happened was at the at the sort of at the beginning of sixteen, end of fifteen, beginning of sixteen, we had to stop selling Old Scout Rye. And then we, when we got into August and September of sixteen, before we had our situation or deal with Pernod, we had to stop selling Old Scout Ten and Old Scout Seven, and we had to start selling other things, mainly because we wanted to focus on to be able to focus on Old Scout Single Barrel, which is a single barrel version of Old, Old Scout 7, but older. It's the same high rye recipe, but 10, 11 years old. And we wanted to focus on Contradiction, which is one of the products that we're tasting now. Yeah. So, so Contradiction is a blend of two different mash bills. It's a 27% blend, sorry, it's a blend of 27% weeded bourbon that we make in West Virginia and 73% of a bourbon made in Indiana. So it became, it became a project that we were interested in. We, we tasted an, another product that was called the Master Distillers Blend of Mash Bills. We loved it. We just had the, inspired by that creativity of a variety of mash bills. And we played around with, with contradiction for for a while, maybe about four or eight months to, to basically get that blend right. And that's basically still the blend that we use today. So 27% we did bourbon from West Virginia and 73% bourbon from Indiana. Um, and what's different about those and the name contradiction is, right, when he, whiskey or bourbon, from straight bourbon from two different states, two different mash bills, stuff we make, stuff we don't. So it became this, the, the name contradiction became to think things that you don't, that don't usually come together. Uh, and that's where the elephant came from on the bottle, something right. that you wouldn't expect to see as an elephant standing on a barrel of whiskey. Uh, <laughs> and so it was very, very, sort of very simple on it. And we love it. And we think the product is has a bright future. The, everything now is, it used to be a two-year-old weeded bourbon and a nine-year-old um, bourbon from Indiana. And now it's everything's above four years old because our product's gotten older. Right. So we, we have Contradiction. And then we have the Old Scout 7 and Old Scout 10 are temporarily or suspended we don't know if that's how long it's going to be but we have a old scout american whiskey which is the other sample that you have in front of you and american whiskey is a blend of two bourbon mash bills one aged in a recharred cask from tennessee which we can't say where that comes from and uh (laughs) the other one is a straight bourbon from indiana so we blend the two of those together um, we let them mingle together for a while, put them back into the same barrels that they came out of. So it's not a finishing because they're going back into the same barrels they came out of. Correct. And then uh, we let them live together for three months or so and and put them back into, uh, or sorry, dump them for bottling. Uh, everything that we do is high proof. We don't chill filter. So we have to keep the ABV high right. to make sure we don't get any flock. Um, 
And uh, we also like the fact that we like whiskey at high proof. It enables you, the consumer, to uh, dilute it if you want to. And if you like a nice, strong, boozy cocktail, then you're you're able to do that. Sure. It's got better backbone for cocktails. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk briefly about... Well, I want to talk about two things. Briefly, I want to talk about your interest in whiskey in, in general. You you said you weren't even really a whiskey drinker when you were a young man. Uh, this came on later. Yep. So, like, to go to the to the to that conference that you went to that sort of changed everything for you, and see it being made, and see the tools that it took to make it, and that lightning bolt hitting you. Is that when you started really drinking whiskey? Yeah, that's about right. I really started drinking whiskey then. I, I drank whiskey when I was. When so I think I, that's pretty interesting. You know, so you had like a young, you know, use the word green before. You had like a green palate for whiskey, but I think that's a good thing. I think you went into the business with with like, uh, you know, not having predis, predisposed notions about what whiskey should be. I, Is that I, true or not? Am I, I off base? I, no, it's absolutely true, and I still think now that I'm. I'm I'm no expert in tasting whiskey. I think we've got a we've got a team that helps us do oh, that. Of course, yeah. So even before we turn out blends, now we, I'm all about this. You know, it takes a village to raise a child. It's the same thing. It takes a village to create a distillery. Sure. So I'm still using all these people for resources. So we make blends. We think they're good, but hey, we we want somebody to gut check us here, and so we send these things out to a variety of people. Uh, I have a friend named Josh Nybert who is a whiskey enthusiast, and we sent samples to him. We send samples to other distillery friends. Sometimes we send them to industry experts. There's I'll get a, you my address before the show's over. We will absolutely <laughs> do that. And, and we want you to be brutally honest with us, right, because it doesn't do us any good for somebody to blow smoke up our ass, right? Exactly, yeah. So uh, we, we send it to a lady named Nancy Fraley, who uh, is known in the industry as the nose. Yeah. And so Nancy is a sensory analysis person. And so all of those people have helped us give us input. That doesn't mean we always take their input, but we want people to let us know what they think. And we adjust those things, just the product. If, if we think it, it makes sense, then we do. And, and if not, then we, you know, we, stick, we stand forward in our convictions and move forward like that. I love that you're so sort of transparent and honest about these kind of things. I think that this is, well, I don't think, I know. I know that this is true of everyone, but people don't like to say it. You know what I mean? Like, you can't, no one's sitting in, uh, you know, you're, my dad told me all the time when I was a kid, if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. <laughs> so no one's sitting around saying, like, this is the best, this is the best we can do. You've got to spread it out and get some input from, from the consumer, from people, from experts. You've got to get, like, a broad scope. Imagine how boring life would be. Without whiskey? If, <laughs> imagine how boring life would be if you thought you were making something the best you knew how. And that was the end of it. I mean, wouldn't you stop doing whatever you do? Like, hey, I've reached the pinnacle. I'm done. We're, we're, every day we're trying to be better. Every day we're, we want to know what can, what can we change to be more efficient? What can we change to make the whiskey more flavorful? Whatever that is, every day we're trying to be better than we were yesterday. And uh, and I have some I have some OCD, some obsessive tendencies on those things. Uh, and so that's the part that we're that we're always looking for. Um, and that involves us always asking ourselves and other people those questions, right? What can we do to make this better? What do you like? What don't you like? And as painful as that is, when your life work, life's work is scrutinized by someone, uh, it motivates you every day to go in and be better than you were the day before. I love it. That's amazing. Um, and then let's talk about kind of what, what's changing with your... So you just showed me some photographs, lots of new equipment being shipped in, lots of things that are 
you know, you're expanding. Is that what you said? Expansion? I'm in here eating pizza and, and drinking cocktails. and <laughs> At Roberta's. At Roberta's. And the team at Smooth Ambler is working as hard as they can work down there. So uh, we announced at the end of last year and closed at the beginning of this year, Pernod Ricard, a division of Pernod Ricard uh, called NBV. Uh, they, they bought the controlling interest in our business. Um, my father-in-law is no longer in the business. We see, we see each other all the time, and he still helps the business quite a bit. Um, everybody deserves to retire. Everybody res- deserves to retire, exactly. Uh, Greg and I are still in the business, and our partner now, NBV. Uh, so they've been great to us. They provided us with a really wonderful distribution platform and all sorts of experience that they have in you know in compliance and you know, legal and finance. And one of the things they've done is help us with barrel modeling, you know, Lord knows we need it after we ran out of all this old Scout 7 and 10. They, right. they helped us to plan for the future. And so we're expanding. So really what we're doing is we think of our business as twofold now. Things we make, things we don't make. Contradiction is the, is the, you know, the combination of those two efforts. And so we're continually continuing to grow the business that we uh, – the business side where we make stuff and continuing to grow the business where we source stuff. And both of those are running pretty wide open right now. We're both doing both. So we're, we're undergoing an expansion. We, run, we ran one – shift a day five days a week we are now running one shift a day seven days a week until the end of september we just sorry we just finished that up we shut down and we're finishing up an expansion um well where we'll run 24 7 and and so with all of that uh we're we're trying to uh, we've hired let people tw- t- let me try and understand that math so if you're doing one shift a day and you're jumping to 24 7 that's three shifts so suddenly you're going to do two-thirds more business than, or more pr- production than you were doing before. Yeah, so we, we were running about uh, 80 barrels a month is what we were making, and we'll make around 250 barrels a month now, something like that. Wow. So still small. In the, we're really, I, in the grand scheme of things, that's small, but that's a hum- tremendous jump. Tremendous jump, considering we were making that, – that's a little bit of a problem with us now, right? So the whiskey that we're selling was made – five, six, seven years ago, and we were tiny. We are making four barrels a week or whatever it is, sure. right? sometimes no barrels. And so now we're, we're in this place where we have a bigger business and we're selling something we made five or six years ago for our, for our house-made juice. Um, we just weren't big enough then. So uh, that's the problem with whiskey, right? Which you, you can't make eight-year-old whiskey unless you made it eight years ago. Exactly. So, um, and so the business has changed tremendously. And and we've had these we have these really wonderful loyal fans. Uh, they actually created their own Facebook page called the Smooth Tramblers, and they're like the Uber fans of Smooth Ambler, and they post pictures of the single barrels that they found and all the times they've been to the distillery. And uh, we had a party for them in August at the Fantastic. distillery, and so we've done a lot of that. And and the, we love these people, right? These are just the best fans in the world, and and we're lucky to have them. And uh, and so th- all of that's changing. Uh, the, that fan base is growing, and uh, we're, we're able to get to more of those customers because we're in more markets now. Uh, so the so the the Pernod investment, this NBV investment, has enabled us to really be able to, be able to afford to make more whiskey, to buy more whiskey, and to have people uh, at the distillery who can help run that business while I'm doing more stuff on the road so i'm getting back hanging out with me in the studio there you go getting back into the market selling stuff and that's kind of where uh antonia comes along antonia and lauren with cork and tin um they are our are you know i I say it i don't mean it to be degrading right they're they are ambassadors right she's more than that they are more than that but they are our 
Um, they are our voice, our the face of our brand in a market when we can't get here. And uh, we were just unable to do those things efficiently and effectively, and even from a cost perspective, uh, before before our situation with with uh, with MBV. Are there any market gaps that you have in America? Are you are you are you in every state? No, we're in about thirty three states. Um, and uh, you know, all the, you'd expect the biggest ones to be all the usual, usual. And of then course. and then we're in the UK. Um, and so um, we're, we're with a company there called Maverick Drinks. A guy named Michael Vashon, who's kind of a up and coming legend in the spirits business, uh, it is a is an importer there and promotes our products in in the UK among among a lot of other craft spirits. Uh, and so, uh, man, we've we've just made such good friends and wonderful people along the way. We're, we're so lucky. Sounds amazing. So, Antonio, what is it exactly that you do to help you know push this thing along? I started my company about four and a half years ago to help small and emerging brands as they came into the business. So I was on the wine and spirit side for a decade doing marketing, brand management, and sales management. And um, I really wanted to get to back to a place where I was helping brands as early on to the point of the inception come into market. So I was offering assistance to a couple of friends whose distilleries are now quite big and they got with me and they said, you need to be doing this on a bigger level. So uh, fast forward a couple of years into that and I was doing market analysis and research for a distillery that's a couple of hours away from Smooth Ambler. Got in the car with my brand strategist and we drove all the way out there um, at the recommendation of Michael Vachon, actually. And we met with John Little and some of his teammates, and we tasted through everything, and we saw what they were doing. And it was one of those moments where I said to myself, this is it. Like, this is everything that's supposed to be happening inside of a distillery. This is what people are supposed to be doing and talking about. And it really brought me back to a place of, finding the joy again uh, in this industry, which can burn you out pretty quickly. Um, and so we had we were meant to be in there. Probably we didn't think we were going to be there more than an hour. I want to say we were there closer to two and a half hours, something like that, and went to dinner that night, and my strategist looked at me and said, yeah, those those are the guys you're meant to be working with. And it was one of those things where I, I knew, I think, John, you've said you knew, like we were going to be working together. And that's all I wanted to do is help him take this message back to Metro New York. It's another lightning strike. Like, yeah. It seems like every step of this process, from, from you moving down to be near your family uh, to, to that, that fateful article from Time Magazine, it, it seems like every little step of the way has just been like uh, an obvious... Uh, uh, next step on the on the street for you to walk down. It, it it doesn't seem obvious at the time, but when you look back on it, right? You're, sure, you're right. You, you're sort of amazed that all these things happen in the way they did. I think I think some of that is uh, having having people in your life that tell you, "Hey, open your eyes, be open to these results. Let's see what happens." Uh, and so so that you're that you're aware of those things happening instead of just being um, oblivious to them. Uh, but absolutely, I didn't know how in the world we were going to afford <laughs> to work with Antonia yet. Uh, I didn't, because it's such a small brand at the time. I just knew that one day we would work together. And I, I, I keep that in the back of my mind all the time today. I, I see people and I meet them in my, our everyday lives. 
Uh, and I just know at some point in time, I'm going to work with that person. Right, you're going to recall that sort of catalog in your mind and be like, this is the person I need to talk to about this. It, it's, it's funny. Um, one of the guys that works in our in the distillery now is a guy named uh, Andrew Robinson. And he first came to the distillery and cooked barbecue for us as a caterer. And we had an awful storm there. And it knocked out power in, in West Virginia, in our area, for like as much as 11 days for some people. It was awful. It's like an inland hurricane. Um, and uh, he was there and chipped in and helped take care of everything and made sure that not only his stuff was taken care of, but everything else was there. And, and I was like, that, I'm going to work with that guy one day. And uh, two and a half years ago, we hired him to be our blending and processing manager, well, to, be able to help us in that area. And Andy now, cooks barbecue? <laughs> And it's damn good, too. Very well. <laughs> and, <laughs> it was very well. And so here, here's a guy that I just knew I was going to work with, and now he's our blending and processing manager. So for the most part, every day, he's blending American whiskey or Contradiction. He and some other folks are picking out single barrels for our single barrel releases. The guy's putting everything into a bottle and shipping everything that goes to another market. He's in charge of all of that. And the first time I ever met him was he was cooking barbecue at Smooth Ambler. And I just think those are the things that you have to un- – you have to be open and aware to all of those things sure. and to figure out how those pieces in your life might fit into the, into the big puzzle, big puzzle. Wow. That's, uh, you know, that's, that's an amazing ability. I don't think everybody has that ability. Uh, I think it, I'm, I'm not sure that you're born with that ability. I think it's something that you, you hone, that you hone over time. I, I'm not sure I'm there. I, I don't mean to pretend like that, I, but I, I am think I'm being more aware of that than I was a year ago and certainly more aware than I was 10 years ago. Amazing. So I, so yeah, exactly how old is Smooth Ambler? You said the date that you started, but I've already yeah. lost it. Yeah, so we had the idea in March of 2008. We actually founded the company in, um, in July of 2009, opened our doors in March of 2010. So almost exactly two years to the date from the time we had the idea to open the doors. And so, um, yeah, so we opened the, actually opened the doors April 7th of 2010, but April 2010. So seven and a half years. Amazing. Something like that. It seems like it happened a, a, a month ago. It's unbelievable that this stuff has happened. And, and you know, New York, was, New York was one of the first real markets that I traveled to. So I'm this guy from small town, you know, from small town North Extremely Carolina. small town. And then now small town West Virginia. And I love... I love coming to New York. I come here, what, about six six times a year, something like that I'm here. I love it. I love the subway. I love being in Brooklyn. I love going and making sales calls here. It's it's uh, it's really cool. I handle two places, which I love both of them tremendously, London and New York. And um, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to be on the road again. So I've been in, I've been what we call in the box for a while, right? I've sure. Been, are you, just, is this like part of a tour? Where are you going? No, I was in London for a week, came back for a week. I'm in New York for a week, and then uh, I'm in... In Philly, and I'm in Detroit, and I'm in Charlotte again, um, and so I'm trying to get back on the road more and more. Just as as people in the distillery, they're all growing in their roles, right? They're all getting better at what they do, and we've hired some new folks, and so I, I really feel like the the distillery is in really great hands, and that those people can can run the business and 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 lead the other staff. And so now I feel very unique to be able to, I feel very relieved to be able to get back into this unique space again and, and, and go start selling again. Yeah, definitely the sign of a strong uh, leadership role is being able to delegate and walk away and know that things are going to be okay because you've you've put the right people in place and you've trained them to the, the best of your ability. Whew, man, that, that's hard to let go. Super hard, man. Super hard to let go. I 
yeah, my my metal was tested over this past year when I wasn't able to work at my bar for several months because of my injury, and uh, you know, look at that, it did fine. Yeah, but you, those you, guys are great. You have you have sometimes it takes where you have no other option, You're right? Than to finally say, all right, let go, and I and these I trust in these people, and 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 they believe in what I have taught them, and let them go, and and, and they've got to fail too. Exactly, they, they've got to learn there, how to. There, pick there were a few stumbles, yeah. There you go. But those are you know those are learning moments, and we but, can all get over them. They're better for it, and so are you. Absolutely, right? right. You become better at what you do as I well. I don't want to get hit by another car, but I wouldn't trade the <laughs> I wouldn't trade what I gained out of it. Yeah, exactly. You know? You'd like to get that experience without having that result without that, having that. to visit so many doctors. <laughs> It'd be great. Yeah, right. Uh, well, do you have a uh, do you have a website or anything you want to plug? We do. We uh, well, yeah. We uh, you know we're we're on Insta. We love Instagram and yeah, everybody and, does and Facebook. Um, so smoothambler.com, uh, at smooth ambler for Instagram. Um, same thing for Facebook at smooth ambler. We, 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 we always want people to feel like that they're, we, we've, we've dedicated it. We've, we've tried to focus our website. It needs to be re-upped, but redone. Uh, we, we want people to feel like they're part of our family. We, I'm, I'm available pretty much on my phone or via social media pretty much all the time. Uh, we invite people to the distillery whenever they can get a chance to come. We, we want people to feel like they're part of our family because we're going to treat them the way we would treat our family. And sometimes that's joking and making fun of them because we do the same thing with our family. But uh, we have a saying at work, which is don't bring your weaknesses to work because we'll exploit them. Um, <laughs> That's great. And, and we sort of love that sort of humor. Uh, but really, we want people to feel like they're part of our family. We have a special relationship with our fans. We're honored that we have that relationship. Do you, do you, uh, do you offer tours of the facility? We do. We offer tours and tastings, um, tours on Fridays and Saturdays. Um, we do tastings Monday through Saturdays, and we're closed on Sundays. Sunday is uh, everybody's got to have a day off. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. It's, a, it's in barbecue. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Uh, do you want to add anything, Antonia, to... Anything that he missed? I know you're you're probably sitting here thinking like, okay, you should talk about this. <laughs> no, I'm very very impressed at how succinct you've been today. It's immediate <laughs> training right <laughs> there, buddy. Yeah, I think the one thing that I would add as a born and bred New Yorker is going down to the area of West Virginia where they are. Um, there is a really special special type of person that lives there that wants to be there and makes it happen. It is not an easy environment. Um, people are quite reliant on one another to help with all their efforts. Um, these guys and gals that have been affected by the expansion in a positive way, their lives have improved dramatically. Uh, the acquisition by Pernera Card has affected directly just under 30 families, um, people, new jobs, raises, that kind of thing. So it is a true story that every time a bottle of Smooth Ambler Spirits is bought, a life has changed for the better in that town. Wow. So, so every time a bottle of Smooth Ambler is bought, a life has changed for the better for someone in that town. Yes. And for the purchaser of that bottle. True story. <laughs> hey, that's the way partnerships work, right? When it's good for both people. When it's good for both sides. Exactly. Yeah. Well, guys, it's been great having you both in the studio today. Um, I'm going to wrap up, as I normally do, by running down a few things. Um, the calendar upcoming. We've got uh, next week, Jim Meehan. Anybody heard of this guy? He wrote a new book. Um, he's going to be in the studio with us uh, talking about that. Um, I don't have anything on the first that's confirmed, so I won't talk about it. But on the 8th, we've got uh, Shanna Farrell. She wrote Bay Area Cocktails from San Francisco. Uh, the 15th, Bernie Lovers is going to be here. I'm going to try and convince him to play his guitar. He knows a lot about whiskey, too. Um, 22nd, Bianca Maraglia from Uncouth Vermouth. She's got a new product that she wants to talk about. She's a very colorful person, and so is the new product. 
um, possibly Giuseppe Gallo on the 29th. That's all I've got lined up upcoming. And then there's a couple of things I want to touch on as well. Um, you know, uh, we're doing this cognac crawl uh, here in New York as well uh, uh, as in San Francisco. That, that portion of the proceeds go towards uh, supporting Heritage Radio Network, which, of course, we need your money to keep shows like this and other shows on the air. Um, it's a $30 uh, charge, and you get to go to five different co- uh, cocktail bars. Amori um, Margo's included here in New York City. Um, uh, you, get, uh, you get a tote bag, and you get a chance to win uh, um, prizes like, uh, like a private cognac seminar for two. Uh, tickets can be purchased at goodpassports.com. Um, you can also follow Cognac Maniacs and Good Passports on social media. That's at Cognac Maniacs and at Good Passports. Um, part of this was put on by my buddy Eric Castro, um, who uh, operates the bar Polite Provisions out in San Diego, where Damon is going to be doing a guest shift next week. Um, he also uh, produced and starred in the award-winning uh, documentary called Bartender at Large, uh, which is now available to purchase at, at name your own price. So you can pay as little as you want, uh, uh, down to 99 cents, or as much as you want. I'm sure he'd like the other side of that. Uh, <laughs> you can go to bartenderlarge.com to purchase today. Uh, so that's all I've got for this week on the Speakeasy. Please uh, tune into Heritage Radio Network for more shows just like this. Uh, go to our website and click on the Beating Heart, uh, where you can donate money to keep uh, all of us on the air. Thank you so much. Cheers, guys. Thank, Thank you. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you sun in the air. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.